Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for investors and business owners looking to save on taxes and build long-term wealth with Toby Mathis, an attorney, author, business owner, and a featured instructor at Anderson's Tax and Asset Protection event held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. All right, guys, let's see if everybody should be coming into the room right now. And uh, this is the first Tax Tuesday of 2022. Yep. Not going to take me a while to get used to that. So first off, welcome to Tax Tuesday. My name is Toby Mathis. Jeff Webb. I know who I am. We've got Jeff Webb here. Yeah, we missed you a couple times last year. He's out running around the globe. He was on a floating Petri dish. I was. Doing his best to catch COVID, but you weren't successful. No, didn't miss any flights. Uh, mm, Got too lucky. Anyway, so we have a lot to go over today. If you haven't been to a Tax Tuesday before, it's an open forum. Uh, We bring in questions that are asked during the week uh, from all of our wonderful folks from all over the country. In fact, if you would be willing to put in the chat, not the question and answer, but put in the chat where you're from. So we already see Woodenville, Claremont, Florida. We have some people from Delaware, Long Beach. Houston, LA, now they're coming in too fast. Spring, Texas, Huntington Beach, Denver, Colorado, Danville, Folsom, SoCal, Oklahoma, Minnesota, Jacksonville, Florida, Cheyenne, Wyoming, Toledo, Ohio, Nevada. Wow, they're going so fast now. So we must have a pretty good sized group when they go like that. Laramie, Wyoming, Corpus Christi, Texas, New Jersey, Marietta. We have people from all over the country. I'm not even going to try to keep up with them. So we always get a pretty good group on and we answer your questions. We always grab about 10 of them that came in from the last Tax Tuesday, and uh, we answer your questions regardless. So if you answer generic tax questions, we're always going to get back to you and answer them. Uh, I was in Vegas for two weeks, now Minnesota, so you're free. Well, actually, it was pretty darn cold in Vegas. Yeah. It's freezing this morning. It's kind of weird here. I guess we're in a desert, so it doesn't make sense. If you have questions during the event... By all means, ask your uh, question in the question and answer, the Q&A feature. And we have a bunch of folks on. In fact, there's besides me and Jeff, mm-hmm. you have uh, Patty, you have uh, Alexander, I'll just say Mr. Kretz. From the tax department, we have Christos Zadas, we have Dana, Dutch, Elliot, Ian. We even have Troy, the head of our bookkeeping department, and uh, Matthew, who's uh handling all the tech. So we have a variable team to help you guys out here. So you can always go into the question and answer and ask her, ask a question and they are going in there and they are nailing it. Uh, I guess we're also live on YouTube. So if you're in YouTube, you can ask a question. Our guys will grab it and ferry it on through. If you have questions as we're going along, by all means, ask them in the chat feature. So if you have a question about something, you want clarity on something that Jeff said, or I said, just jump through and just put it on into the chat. And uh, you'll see sometimes I start having a conversation with somebody in chat that's asking for clarity and I'm asking them specifics and Jeff does the same thing. The benefit is that I can see stuff and Jeff is a little bit Mm. like, he's like, "Ah, what is that out there? Usually those questions are, what did Jeff say? (laughs) What did Jeff just do? He's been a (laughs) CPA for a really long time. It's not making any sense. So anyway, so you can go ahead and ask live Q&A features, question and answer. You can see it. Email our, uh, our Tax Tuesday to Anderson Advisors if you have questions during the week. 
And uh, if you need a really detailed response that's specific to you, then we may say, hey, you need to be a Platinum client. Platinum is a whopping $35 a month, and you can do all the Q&A that you want. You can have a big old cornucopia. People always ask us, why do we do it? Because for whatever reason, you reap what you sow in this world, and we like to answer questions. And I don't know about you, Jeff, but I remember when I started, I'm an attorney, so I'm not a CPA. But when I started uh, in my practice, I met with a CPA, and he confused the crud out of me, <laughs> made me feel really, really dumb. And I was like afraid to ever ask him a question because it was 300 bucks an hour. And that was 20 some years ago. So I was looking at going, hey, I don't want someone to feel that way. I don't want someone to have that. So we try to make it to where we're making up for all that stuff. All right, let's jump in. Anything you want to jump in? Nope. All right. So 2022, first tax Tuesday. Let's make it a good one, guys. Opening questions. We're going to be answering these throughout the day. There's about 10 of them that we answer, then we'll answer lots of questions that pop up. Otherwise, we we have some still some cities coming in. This is pretty fun. Are the profits from my real estate syndication investment considered passive income? Can I use passive activity losses from my rental houses to offset my syndication income? Really good question. And we'll be answering that. Jeff's favorite of the day is, should I use my personal name as a beneficiary of a ladybird deed, or should I set up a new entity to receive ownership? The property is a $3 million asset, a horse farm in Florida. A uh, great question. We'll get into what all that stuff is. For the second one-third repayment to an IRA for penalty-free withdrawals taken under the CARES Act in 2020, don't worry, we'll unpack this for you, is the correct tax year to the list for this second one-third payment tax year 2020 or 2021? Also, is the second one-third repayment due by December 31st, 21? Uh, 2021, or does the second repayment just need to be made prior to the date you file your tax return? So potentially April 15th, 2022. We'll get into all that fun stuff for you. And uh, it's it's neither, right? So we'll go over it. All right. If my business is held in Wyoming and I have rental entities in Connecticut, do I pay Connecticut taxes for those entities? I also live in Connecticut. Does this hurt me? So we'll dive into that. Uh, How does a C-Corp pay me, the homeowner, for the use of my house as office space? How is that calculated? Do I then, or do I then just have to report that as miscellaneous income on my personal 1040 return? So we'll dive into that. We'll break it down into what it means and the tax implications, right? I have a property under my name and I transferred it to an LLC with five other members with equal ownership. I have not informed my lender about the change yet. I always love these. Is there going to be a problem if I do not? (laughs) Fun. All right. (laughs) We're going to be using depends a lot today. Uh, And I mean, not the physical depends. I mean, (laughs) speculative depends. All right. I am. You may be using the depends, depending on if you're the one asking that question. I am thinking of setting up a business for mining crypto. My understanding is that I can depreciate the mining machines similar to real estate, but that this business would not be considered passive and therefore would be taxed ordinary rate. Would I be able to offset my W-2 income if my depreciation results in a loss? Or will the loss be carried forward until I have income from this business venture? Would it still make sense to set up an LLC taxes and S-Corp if I'm already maxed out on FICA limits? There's so much in that. There's so much goodness in there. That's like mm-hmm. biting into a Snickers. So we'll get into that. Can we still roll over a regular IRA to Roth and what are the tax implications? 
if we have $250,000 in a regular IRA and doing a cost segregation on a small apartment building, we'll have $225,000 of bonus depreciation. Will that cover the taxes due from the IRA conversion? Really good question. And we'll go into what all that means. Like you guys are going to get a treat today because there's some advanced questions here. If I elect to pay the gift tax, the gift is greater than $15,000 instead of using my lifetime exclusion as the gift tax a deduction on my personal income tax return. Interesting. And this is why I bring Jeff because he knows the answers to these when I just kind of look at you funny. All right, I have an existing single family home, which I'm converting to an Airbnb. It just means short-term rental. I will be personally managing this Airbnb starting December of this year. My spouse and I, and I, these were these were sent in probably since the last Tax Tuesday. We had we had two in December, so obviously you're getting some people that are doing the end of the year stuff, but still very relevant. My spouse and I both have W two income, no other active business. Can I use accelerated or bonus depreciation to offset my W two income? You'll see why I'm why, why this question is still there because it's very germane. I'll show you guys why. All right. So really good questions today. So we're going to have our, we're going to put our thinking caps on because there's some thinking questions in there. Speaking of thinking, we have two events coming up this weekend. The first one, these are absolutely free. So if you want to share them with anybody, we don't care. The more the merrier as far as we're concerned. Uh, The first one is a one-day event. uh, That's our Infinity Investing Workshop. And I have Nicole DeBrasia and Pia Washington on Nicole will be going over real estate investing. She'll be up first, and then I'll have Pia on in the afternoon doing stock and stock investing. And we'll be talking about our infinity formula and how we calculate our infinity net worth and how we invest and how our successful clients invest. I mean, Jeff, we do what upwards of 10,000 returns a year. Yep. And do we like to look at who the successful people are? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we like to see what they do. And do they do kind of the same thing? We really like to see, you know, the, the, you can tell the clients are successful and what they do with their stuff. And it's, it's a whole different mindset. It is. And so we're going to be teaching you that on uh, Friday. It's the first time we've done one on a Friday. I noticed that. It's because we just, we're just jamming. We are jamming. So we wanted to make sure that we didn't have to push out another week. Uh, and then we have the the tax and asset protection workshop, which is more on real estate investing, how to set up uh, everything from land trust, LLCs, corporations, how they're taxed. That is on Saturday. And again, both of these are free. They are both nine to four Pacific Standard Time. So that is a p- Pacific time. So if you're on the East Coast, you can take a little jaunt in the morning. I love teaching these from the East Coast because I always go for a walk, work out, get breakfast, and then get to come in on the West Coast. We're diving right in. And when you're in Hawaii, it's early, early, right? Uh, I think that's the term. Anyway, feel free to register for those. I think Patty will probably put those into uh, the registration links there. Again, they're absolutely free, or you can go to andersonadvisors.com and you you could sign it up. These are absolutely no cost. So feel free to join us and we love them. Are they on Zoom? Yes, they are. And so uh, it's always fun. And don't worry, during the breaks, we take lots of breaks, we put videos up and then we always have an hour for lunch or half an hour if it's Clint because he likes to talk so much. We have a half an hour where we put videos up. so, So you'll know when to come back. So they're really great. All right, let's jump into tax because taxes are so much fun. Jeff, 
are the profits from my real estate syndication investment considered passive income? Question mark. Can I use passive activity losses for my rental houses to offset my syndication income? It is highly likely that your syndication income is going to be passive in nature for two reasons. One, you're probably a limited partner in that syndication. And two, it's probably real estate. So those are both passive activities. We said real estate syndication, and we're assuming that, and you can look here, I'll make it this guy <laughs> there. So you got to understand, we got a bunch of equipment, right? Jeff's eyesight. So we were making fun of him about a minute before we started. He goes, I can't see the screen. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> But the real estate, he, you know, they said a real estate syndication, and unless it's development and flip, right. this is going to be, well, even if it's development and flip, you're still not going to be a material participant. You're, it's going to be passive. And in this case, it's a good thing, because as you said, you have rental other rental properties with passive losses. So if you generate income in the syndication, not only can you offset those losses, but if you got old suspended losses... You can use those. It can use, uh, you can use those also. And, th and this is where it really, like a lot of people think of income and they think, oh, there's two classes of income. You got active and passive. And there's actually a whole bunch. There's active, there's technically portfolio, which is where your capital gains live, dividend income, interest, and uh, what's another one? Royalties. Royalties, yeah. Yeah, so they're living in that portfolio income. And then you have your passive income. And on the passive income side, you have rents, and unless it's an exception, which we can dive into, you have rents and then you have businesses in which you do not materially participate. Mm -hmm. So everybody always thinks of passive and they immediately think rental real estate. But it could also be that, you know, Jeff has a pizza shop and I'm a silent partner. I don't do anything. I just provided some capital. I'm an owner. It's kicking out income every year. Jeff's a really great pizza maker. It kicks me out income. And now I'm trying to keep that income from being taxed. And I might use my real estate and accelerate some of my depreciation of my real estate to offset that. Right. Or, hey, I don't want to, you know, it's my real estate syndication. When could it be considered not passive? It depends on me. And what are the exceptions? Uh, real estate professional. Yep. It's going to be, realistically, there's the active participant or active participation in real estate, but that phases out when you're over hundred grand. Yep. If you're in a syndication, you're telling me that you're making over 300 grand a year. If you're married or over 200, if you're single, yep. so you, that's out the door. So it really is real estate professional and in real estate professional 469 C7. And it's just a, a little hoop you have to jump through. Hey, I work in this area as the primary source of my income. So I'm a realtor, I'm a broker, I'm in construction, I'm, a, I'm, I'm doing development, I'm flipping houses. I don't even have to be doing it for myself. I could be doing this for other people. I could be doing construction for other people and still use that time. And then I'm materially participating in my real estate activities. And, and syndication is the one time I can be a real estate professional with one property if I, if I can meet the time requirements. Mm -hmm. With a syndication, you're probably not going to make those time requirements by itself. But if you have other real estate properties, like this question says, and you group those together, you're probably meeting that time requirement. Yeah. And what, what Jeff just said, that little grouping comment, if you missed it, is probably the biggest mistake we see on returns mm -hmm. from people that don't have accountants that understand real estate. Because you actually have to make an election to group all of your real estate activities as one activity and treat them as one activity. Therefore, your real estate with the syndication is no different than your single family residences over here. They're all treated as one activity. So if you have a little bit of loss over here, 
and you have income over here, they offset. Yep. Yay, we like that. Or the time I'm using on this property over here, I can lump it up with this one over here, if that makes sense. The real estate guys are all going, yes, yes. Everybody else is going, what the hell did he just say? Are there downsides to aggregating real estate? And Brendan actually asked a really good question. Yes, there are. Mm -hmm. If you group activities and you have losses that are carry carry forward losses from previous years, you're suspending them until you get rid of the majority of your properties, right? Substantially all. Yeah, substantially all. Yep. So what you do, is there a trick? I should ask you because you're the genius. Well, there, there is a trick if you have, like you talked about having a passive business that's generating passive income, mm-hmm. you could apply that against those suspended losses. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, they're trapped in there. And, and the other group different properties together with, other, with, with different activities, or do we have to group all of our real estate as one activity? Once you make that election, that election groups all your real estate activities together. Uh, and if I go out next year and purchase another pro- property, that automatically gets pulled into that a- aggregated group. So one one piece of advice we usually get is if you have a property that you're considering selling in the near future, I would sell it first. And the, the reason being is that if you have losses that are being carried forward from that one piece of property, so let's say I bought a property and it was pretty much break even and I, and I took a bunch of depreciation and it's accumulating. And I have $50,000 of depreciation that's carrying forward on that property. Mm-hmm. That $50,000 of loss releases when I sell that property. Yep. If I do it before I aggregate it with all my other property. So again, I don't want to get too complicated. That's why you sit down with an accountant and you say, should I do this? What are the upsides and downsides? And I really appreciate you, uh, Brendan, actually asking that. It's a really good question. Somebody says, oh, investing in crypto. I love crypto. I like crypto. Not everybody does. I used to not like crypto when it was like $3 and everybody was saying, hey, you should be investing in crypto. I didn't like crypto. I waited until it hit about 17,000 and I said, oh, this looks like a good idea. Yeah, so Toby's a, a, a dumbass sometimes. All right, let's jump into the next one. Should I use my personal name as a beneficiary of a ladybird deed, or should I set up a new entity to receive ownership? The property is a $3 million plus asset horse farm in Florida. So let, let's talk about the ladybird deed first. The ladybird deed is a type of life estate. And, and from what I know of it, its real purpose is to avoid some of the Medicare rules mm-hmm. that allow them to come in and grab. If I just have a life estate, say for my primary residence and all, Even after that five-year period, Medicare can come in and grab that asset Mm -hmm. to pay for my care. And the Lady Bird deed avoids that, but it's only available, I believe, in five states, Florida being one of them. Five states. And what it is, just so you guys know, so uh, lawyers will look at this, and if if they're not familiar with the term, I'll just use the term you are familiar with. It's an enhanced life estate. So I have a life estate, but it's enhanced in that normally if I have a life estate, I could sell Jeff a property mm-hmm. subject to me residing in that property for the rest of my life. It's called a life estate. Yeah. And we can actually use an IRS table to say, what's my life expectancy and do a percentage valuation of how much that thing's worth. Like you, you could do things like that. In this particular case, we also have the ability to say who gets the property when I die. So I am getting the right to remain in that property. Plus I still have control over who gets it when I'm dead. And what Jeff is pointing out about Medicare is exactly 100% correct. The reason a lot of people do these is because 
in order to qualify for federal assistance and not have it deplete everything you own, mm -hmm. you have to get rid of assets five years prior. And I believe that's going to, I didn't look it up on this one, but I believe that's true on a ladybird deed too. You have to have gotten rid of this five years before you're going to qualify for the federal assistance. And so just think of it like this. Somebody's been living their life. They have this property that they've worked so hard to build up and they know that their health is deteriorating and they don't have any, any ways to maintain their, their, their existence other than uh, the retirement account. And they know that if, if they leave it, that the federal government, before they allow Medicare to be used, is going to sell that asset and require it be liquidated to continue to pay down until you have a small enough base of, of income or of assets so that then you qualify. So you have to spend everything you got. So if you know that that's your situation, you may say, hey, Jeff, let's say Jeff was my kid. I might give Jeff a ladybird deed where it says I'm going to reside in it until I pass away. And then Jeff's going to get it. But I've given away most of that value already. And I've removed it as an asset that's part of my estate because the, uh, the, uh, the right to reside in it wouldn't be effective against the Medicare calculations. So that's what you do. States that don't have ladybird deeds have enhanced life estates still. Like you could still do qualified personal residence, uh, trust, a QPERT. Mm -hmm. You could do other types of things where I do an enhanced life estate. I'm going to have to draft around it, but this is why you're doing it. So, And, and Texas has ladybird deeds. Go figure. Texas does. Yeah, the places that have the big homestead. I think it was Texas, Vermont, uh, Florida, Michigan. I think Michigan, Florida, West Virginia. For sure. I don't know why West Virginia. That's more than five. So I know we're wrong. Yeah, yeah. Just go look them up. But so John's asking, is that like a transfer on death? So a ladybird deed is two deeds: life estate plus transfer on death. That's exactly what it is. So if your state does not allow transfers on death, we're going to have to draft around it. We're going to, have to use a trust. So how do you feel about having the beneficiary of that deed be the owner of the property? Well, it depends on what they mean by beneficiary. So there's two types. There's a remainder beneficiary, which would likely be an individual or your living trust, or you know, it wouldn't even be a living trust. It would have to be something outside your state. So more than likely mm -hmm. an individual. Uh, and then there's the lifetime beneficiary who gets to stay there. And I think you would be, no, somebody says, here we go with the pension. Sherry's already being mean to me. She sent me some wine for Christmas and now she's whining. So that was like, I like Sherry. Sherry, you're all right, my book. All right. And uh, that's awesome. Uh, so, but, I, and they asked about other choices. I don't think the LLC does anything for them. Hmm. I know another possibility is an irrevocable trust, which I'm not totally crazy about. Cuperts, any other irrevocable trusts, you draft around. If you sell it, you're going to end up with all that cash. The Ladybird deed really is kind of your first level of saying, I don't want to be moved. I want to live and I want to reside in my house until I pass. I don't want to deplete the value of that asset. I want it to go to my kids or I want it to stay in my family. And this is the only way that you really do it. In. Yeah. So Lady Bird Deeds are currently only authorized in Florida, Michigan, Texas, Vermont, and West Virginia. So what would I do? I, I, so personal beneficiary is a lifetime beneficiary. I think you have to. And then the, the other beneficiary would be whoever your heirs are. You, you like realistically, I'd be using a QPERT or something else if I wasn't going to use a ladybird deed in this particular case. But the only thing that throws me off is the asset 
because I believe you can always do it on a personal residence, but if you have a horse farm that's attached and they consider it separate, then I'm not hundred percent certain. Like we, regardless, we'd have to dig into this a little bit and make sure that we're doing what's right by it. And frankly, I'd probably be pointing you to a local attorney on this one saying, Hey, deal with somebody who deals with something that's specialized to that particular state, but we could certainly assist and get you the information you need so you can decide whether it makes sense. Somebody says, what's available in California since there's no ladybird deed? Paid on death, life estate, you know, that that's where you're drafting around. So again, there's really two things. It's a lot, it's an enhanced life estate. So if you were just walking in saying, if I'm just using real estate terms and I don't want to say ladybird, what I'm saying, it's a life estate with the ability with the paid on death. All right. This is a good question, by the way. So the CARES Act brought us the ability to take early distributions at a 401ks and IRAs of up to $100,000 per participant. The rules, when they came out with them under the CARES Act, I think it was section 2200, were really ambiguous. And they said, oh, you know, you spread out the, the tax pro rata, you know, over three years and blah, blah, blah. I don't even think they said pro rata, but they said something. But it's been interpreted to mean you spread out the tax over three years. And then you have until the end of the third year, the tax year, to repay it. So you take it in 2020, you'd have the end of the third tax year, which would be, what would that be? 2022 would be this year Mm -hmm. at the end of this year. Uh, So you'd have, you'd be spreading it out one third, one third, one third, the tax, but you'd have to pay it back to avoid any tax by the end of the year. So you could put it back in and it's a glorified rollover. So pretend you rolled out, you rolled over an IRA and you have 60 days to put it back in. They're just basically saying, you have three years to roll it back in, but you have to recognize the tax one third, one third, one third over those three years. And the only reason I, I bring this up is because this gets confusing otherwise. So based off of what I just mm-hmm. said, Jeff, what do you think? So let's forget about the whole tax part because that's not really how it works. What the rules ended up saying was I have to recognize a third of the distribution in year one, a third in year two, a third in year three. So this being year two, and just a little soapbox, I don't know why they included 2020 as a year as a year one, the distribution year you had to pay the tax on. It. So anyway, so in 2022, let's say you had a $90,000 distribution. You've already reported 30,000 in 2020. Hold on for a second. In 20, you say like in 2020, you took a 90,000? 2020, you took a $90,000 distribution. Right. So let's, I, let's, I heard that. Let's apply that to these facts. So they took $90,000 in the year 2020. Yes. How much did they have to report as taxable income on their 2020 taxes? They had to report $30,000 of income. Did they have any penalty on that? No. Okay. If it was COVID related. Did they actually have to pay back the $30,000? They did not. Do you have to pay anything back in year 2021? No. Do you have to pay anything back in 2022? No. It is an option though. Yes. If I do pay back the entire 90 thousand dollars by the end of 2022 then what do i do then you're going to go back and amend your previously filed returns and you're going to get back the tax you paid on that thirty thousand dollars you reported each each year year. yeah this is where jeff and i were griping like little like angry school kids Mm -hmm. because i was like this is the dumbest thing ever they're going to make us recognize the tax over three years but if we pay it back, then we're going to have to amend. I said, why don't you just give them an option to recognize it in any of those three years? And that way, it's it's no harm, no foul if you pay it back 
by the end of 2022, you just pay back the 90. There's zero that you don't have to do any reporting. You're not, it's easy. They made it hard. Now we're going to have to amend two years of tax returns. So the, the answer to this question is for the second one third repayment, there is no such thing. You only have a second one third tax bill. Yes. And that is due regardless of whether you really, if you paid it back or not, you have to pay the thing back the entirety by December 31st of 2022. That's it. If you choose. If you choose. If you don't, you've already, you're going to have that last third taxable in 2022. You pay it and you don't have any penalties. You go about your merry way. Yep. You get it back into the retirement plan, which is actually a pretty good option. And you get to go back and write off and, you know, you're going to take two amended returns, depending on what your tax brackets are, maybe great. You get to, you could go back and get the money on that. For some of you guys, I was reading in the question and answer, somebody's at 50% tax bracket, somebody like that, you know, 60 grand would be worth 30 grand of dollars in your pocket. I might be, I might be going and doing that. So this year I'm going to file my 2021 return. I'm going to put in $30,000 of retirement income. And that's going to go into my tax calculation. Yep. That's assuming. So again, here, I'm going to write it down just so people don't get confused. So here's the tax. So $90,000 was taken in 2020. So tax in these following years on that would be 30,000, 30,000. If you don't pay anything back, repayment is all the way up until the end of 1231-22. So there's nothing that had to be repaid. Just so you know. So for this individual, again, the reason I grabbed this particular question is I looked at it and I said it's relevant to some of you guys, even though it's after the year end, you don't have to repay. So let's say I've taken $90,000 out. I'm in 2022. Can I make a partial repayment? Yes, I could partially repay. And then it's just like a rollover. They call it a trustee to trustee rollover. And if I did not roll to Jeff, if I, excuse me, if I did not roll in back into my mm-hmm. retirement plan, then that would be treated as an early distribution. Under the CARES Act, you don't have to worry about the 10%. Yeah. So if it was part of that distribution, you don't have to worry about it. Now, the last question on here had to do with the tax payment. Technically, it's due April 15th, whatever your tax is. You may have estimated tax penalties if you didn't pay along the way. Those are usually, I hate to say they're not He's really not substantial. Even talking about the tax payment. So he's just saying to have to repay. So oh, okay. a lot of people are under the assumption that they have to pay this thing back over three years. Gotcha. And it's no, you have three years to pay it back. It's again, the same thing as the 60 day rollover. It's just, they made it a, you know, 1200 and something day rollover. Three years was three times 365, some big number, right? It's just, a, it's a lot of days that you have to treat it as rolled back over. They make you pay taxes as you go along, which is in my opinion, kind of dumb, but I don't write the laws. I just... It's a nice interest-free loan, but a lot of people don't have the money to repay it. Yeah. Well, nowadays they're giving everybody free cash. You get some cash. You get some cash. They're going to print more cash this year. That's why I'm like, everybody says the the hedge against inflation is this crypto. (laughs) That's not why I like crypto. Crypto (laughs) actually follows the growth stocks pretty closely. Like watch, go, go chart Bitcoin and look at the dates that they announce the interest rate. Uh, or the uh, inflation rates. So every time they do the inflation rates, watch what happens to the, the crypto right after. Now you can thank me for trading crypto because that's what you guys are all going to run and do. You're going to say, oh my God, they're tied. What do you mean they're tied? They're not supposed to. It's a hedge against inflation. But, but gold's been going down for that. And the, 
They can't explain it. They always say it's a hedge against inflation. I'm like, yeah, it's doing the opposite <laughs> of what you're saying. I have not previously taken out. Somebody's asking a question. Uh, can you take the interest-free loan in 2022? No. It was a, you had to do it by, I think it was like January of 2020 or some. The boat has long since sailed, Richard. Yeah. All right. If my business is held in Wyoming, and I have rental entities in Connecticut. Do I pay Connecticut taxes on those entities? I also live in Connecticut. Does that hurt me? So I'm assuming that this Wyoming entity is a pass-through entity. It's probably holding. So yes, if it's a partnership, it's going to file a Connecticut tax return. It's got Connecticut property. It probably won't pay taxes in Connecticut. However, that income's going to get, regardless, this income's going to get passed to you especially since you live in Connecticut and you're going to report it on your return tax return. So yes, you will pay Connecticut taxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the easiest way to look at it is wherever you make the money, it's chances are it's going to be taxed there. If you live in California, they're going to tax your entities as though they're there too. Because the way they look at it, the Franchise Tax Board, it says if you're an owner, your entity is there for their purposes, whether it's constitutional or not. I think that they're going to have they always have issues. They tend to lose those cases, but then they just change it slightly and go <laughs> keep doing it. Uh, I can say that because Eric used to work with their uh, board of equalization. And he said that's exactly what they did. So I can say from somebody who worked there as an attorney, that was kind of their MO was like, mm-hmm. hey, we have to get the revenue. The state needs the money. So uh, in most cases, you're just going to be paying taxes on the rental income. So if it's rental losses, do you pay any Connecticut taxes? No, actually, it would it could reduce your income on your personal return? Yeah, so it may actually help you. So it's it's not it doesn't doesn't hurt you. And then some some states have franchise fees. Some states have set costs. Like in Nevada, we have a business license. Yes, you'd have to pay those in Connecticut. You wouldn't necessarily have to pay it on the Wyoming side, but in the entities that are doing business in that state, you would just pay pay into Caesar, right? Mm-hmm. So. You have to pay it. And somebody correctly pointed out, by the way, when we're talking about taxes, especially like CARES Act, that was a federal, those are federal tax statutes, and some states don't follow them. So uh, I think Mark was pointing out that in Hawaii, if you took out the early distributions, you don't have the federal penalty payment, but you might have a state tax. You know, that's probably 4% or something like that, 4 or 5% that you may have to look at. So 100% Mark, a very good comment is, yeah. So think of it when we're talking about things that are federal, that you always have to also apply to your state. And CARES Act was very specific. It was a federal statute that gave a lot of benefits. And there's all sorts of fun stuff, carrybacks, accelerated depreciation, increase. They gave us 100% adjusted gross income deductions for charitable donations. That's all for federal tax purposes, whether a state follows it is up to that state. They kind of do what they want. And you know, if you live in a state that's kind of media, chances are they didn't follow it. So California, Hawaii. California's notorious for not following. Yeah, they like to do things like that. Like you go, yay, I can do this. And then they go, smush you. All right. How does a C-Corp pay me, the homeowner, for the use of part of my house's office space? How is that calculated? Do I then just have to report that as miscellaneous income on my personal 1040? What do you say? Let's answer the last question first. Mm -hmm. No, you don't report it on your 1040. It's a reimbursement, tax-free. Well, what if you rent it to your corp? 
What if your corpse says, hey, Jeff, I'd really like to rent your home office, this little piece of space. That would be taxable income. That'd be taxable. Don't do that. Yeah. So we're going to go under an accountable plan. Right? Accountable plan, uh, reimbursement for administrative office. Yeah. This is actually really simple to calculate. You're going to come up with all the uh, deductible expenses, uh, interest on the house, taxes on the house, HOA fees, utilities, repairs, general repairs to the house, all of those type of things. And you're going to come up with a number. Mm-hmm. And let's say your house has four rooms and you're using one room for your office and it needs to be only for your administrative office. It doesn't have to be this crazy exclusive. It has to be where you pay the bills and basically right. run your business. So one of the four rooms, so 25% of the total of all your expenses you came up with, you could get reimbursed for. You can do it on a monthly basis, an annual basis. I, I just said, I hope you guys caught it. The amount that you could actually reimburse yourself, and it is not included in income. It's, what is it? 26 CFR 1.62-2. It's for accountable plans. You have to be an employee, which means it has to be an S-Corp, C-Corp, or an LLC taxes an S-Corp or a C-Corp. And it's reimbursing you. You don't have to get a salary. You don't have to have wages in addition. It can just be reimbursing you for this because the business is getting the use of your home. It does, it does not get reported. It is not subject to tax. It is not subject to employment taxes. It's not subject to being reported as income, period. So it's, it's just like if Jeff was on his way to work and I said, hey, Jeff, pick up a bunch of Krispy Kreme. Are you guys like pink box? So I said, I like Krispy Kreme. But why does your accounting office always I don't pink know. box? Because they're all these. They're they, too fancy. They are fancy. You got to put. I'm an accountant. <laughs> but I like the Krispy Kremes, the mushy, hot. Oh yeah, my dad loved those things, right? So Jeff stops off. At, <laughs> Jeff stops at Krispy Kreme, and he comes in and he says, "Hey, the, you know, here gives me the receipt. See, Sherry's even on board. Krispy Kremes are the best. I don't know. Like, it's like." liquid crack. It's just like nasty stuff, right? So he brings a receipt, 30 bucks, and I give you 30 bucks. We've all done this. No tax, zero reporting. The business takes that receipt and writes it off. So this is no different when I do that. So let's say that Jeff is working from home. He's doing all of his admin stuff from home and he's working for his own business. His business is a Wyoming business and he's doing his work from home. This is what a lot of Anderson clients are doing. Mm -hmm. It can literally just reimburse Jeff. And Jeff, you can add in things like cleaning, Mm -hmm. utilities. And this first question here, the homeowner, you don't have to be the homeowner. The homeowner, you're going to have more mortgage payment. But if you're a renter, you get to reimburse on the rental payment too. And these are not a homeowner. This is not the home office deduction that you do as a sole proprietor. It's actually a bigger deduction for the renter than it is the homeowner. It's actually because of quite often the renter's paying more. Yep. 100%. When you look at this stuff, you get to add it all up. We use a form sheet. If you've ever seen the tax toolbox, it's in there. If you've ever gone through the TaxWise workshop, it's in there. I go over it quite often at the tax and asset protection events on Saturday. I'll probably do it in the afternoon. But I go over the sheet and I show you how we've actually calculated them. And uh, I'll use an example on somebody that was a $750 deduction as a sole proprietor under their home office deduction. It was just over $5,100 as a deduction for the business. And that's what accountants never seem to calculate when they're running the, should I be a corp? Because they'll C corp. Oh, double tax. Not if you don't have any income. 
Anyway, fun stuff. All right, here's another one. I have a property under my name and I transferred it to an LLC with five other members with equal ownership. Okay. So five others. So there's six people. Mm -hmm. I have not informed my lender of the change yet. Is there going to be a problem if I do not? You want to say it? It depends. <laughs> hmm. If it, here's the deal. If they ever figure it out, they might call the note due. In all reality, a lot of people do this exact thing and they just don't tell anybody, but you're on the hook for it. You, chances are you personally, like if you got the loan and you bought a property in an LLC and only your name is on it, because generally speaking, the people that are on the loan are greater than 20% interest holders. Mm -hmm. So there's six people. So, but unless somebody like you may be the greatest, you may be the only one that has greater than 20. They don't care about the other members anyway, but as long as you're, you're probably on the hook and they have the property secured. Yep. They're ahead of those other members anyway. So they're, they're, they're generally no harm, no foul. You're not supposed to do it. You're supposed to let them know. But I'd be lying if I said I haven't done the same thing. I'll go out and say, I'll get the loan on this one with my partner, Clint. Sometimes I'll be like, hey, it's just so much easier. The, the, the mortgage broker will even tell you, it's like, just put it in an entity. Please just let me deal with one person because we're going to have to do all this paperwork. We don't want to do two. If it's greater than 20% ownership, they have to go and put you guys both through this nasty underwriting process. If you just say, hey, I'm just going to do this and this is the LLC it's going to go into. And it's in that LLC, and then you then you transfer in the other members. Mm -hmm. Chances are they're never going to care. Yeah, I mean, they mainly care is the loan being paid. Mm -hmm. That's what they care about. If you have not given them reason to be concerned, they're probably not going to be concerned. Yeah, yeah, they don't care whose loans is paid. And that goes like my pet, my dad passed away years and years and years ago, and his name's still on the mortgage. <laughs> we, well, we paid it off, but you know, his name was still on the mortgage for a lot of years. We just kept doing it. All right. This is a good question. This is a longie. I am thinking of setting up a business for mining crypto. My understanding is that it can depreciate the mining machine similar to real estate, but that this business would not be considered passive and therefore would be taxed at an ordinary rate. Would I be able to offset my W-2 income if my depreciation results in a loss or will the loss be carried forward until I have income from the business venture? Would it still make sense to set up LLC tax as an S-corp if I'm already maxed out on FICA limits. Okay, I'm going to give my caveat first. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about mining Bitcoin in particular, Bitcoin is 90% mined. Uh, there's only about 2 million coins left. It's going to take till 2140 to mine them all. Really? The difficulty equation, it, mm. it doubles. So, so go ahead. Uh, I did see where- uh, It's going to be forever. Before Bitcoin was trading below 46 this morning. Yeah. But what most miners do, just because I play with the miners, we know this, like there's somebody second to the crypto question. So the crypto, generally, if you're using like safe hash or something, mm -hmm. which is the hash rate, it's determining which coin's the best for you. And then it's converting it over to Bitcoin. So you might be mining Cardano and going and, and then exchanging it over for Bitcoin. So you're not necessarily mining Bitcoin because it might take too long and too much resource and too much energy to do it but so let's mining mining is ordinary income mining is active if you materially participate they're going to say you materially participate in that business yes pretty much period the only way i could see you not materially participating it's almost impossible it's yeah. like it's like if you, if you had a partner and you just weren't doing anything and your partner was doing everything but if it's your business 
chances are it's going to be taxed. When, when you say ordinary rate, that does not mean anything for, for the, the self-employment tax. That just means your ordinary rate. Like So rents are taxed at your ordinary rates. Interest is taxed at your ordinary rates. Royalties are taxed at your ordinary rates. Short-term capital gains are taxed at your ordinary rates. What you're saying is I have active ordinary income. Is it subject to self-employment? Yes, because it's active, because you are materially participating. If you have losses, and and then let's answer number two, can they write off the machines? Uh, Yes, all your equipment you buy, and you're going to buy a substantial amount of computing hardware. Mm -hmm. That's all going to get bonus depreciation. You're going to write it off in the first year. You're going to do section 168K Mm -hmm. or 179, right? Yep. And- all that means is make sure that you continue to use it as mining equipment. You don't convert it into a personal gaming machine in year two. Under 168, we don't care. Under 179, it could cause an income exclusion, uh, inclusion, which we worry about probably next year, the year after. And, and the way this mining equipment works, you usually have to have a large bank of computing uh, hardware. You have to have methods to cool it. That It's, it's all five-year property, which means it's subject to bonus depreciation. And it's not going to make it. Let's be real. Mining machines, you're talking about three years on those video cards. So most of them, the motherboard might last, but those video cards is the big deal. You also need to track your utilities, which may not be the easiest thing to do if you're running them through your regular electric bill. There's somebody asking a really good question, by the way. What if I'm doing a co-location hosting? So you're you're hosting a facility. We would want to look at what that facility is and take a look. And so, John, I would invite you, hey, Patty, if you can get John's information, because I've I'm digging into this as much as I can. I don't know of an exception for the co-location, but we are looking at it because you've got been on my YouTube channel. You saw that we showed you a way to make crypto tax free and you never pay tax on your mined Bitcoin. You'll pay tax on the mining portion, but on any appreciation beyond that, we've gone in and we showed you a way to do that inside of a, a Roth and actually do it. And there's a specific way to do it. You have to set up a LLC taxes a C corp that does the mining and then you pay it out as a dividend. It's not taxable. So it only pays tax at the 21%. And then any growth from that point on, because you pay tax on the spot value of that coin when it's mined or that portion of a coin. But we had some clients, uh, one guy, really great guy, the airline pilot made over $700,000 last year, mining coins, uh, mostly Cardano. And uh, there's folks making good money out there. There's always this talk about the energy and you just have to make sure that it's worthwhile and it depends on the the value the spot value of those coins just like mining gold whenever i see the gold rush i'm always like they'd be really happy if gold was ten thousand dollars an ounce they're they're still working their butts off at when it's two thousand an ounce i i think the biggest surprise for some miners is been the utility bills that come along with it Mm because they can run twenty five thirty five thousand dollars a year yeah and you have to do this a lot they're loud Put them in your garage. You can park outside. But it depends on how many video cards you have, really. So you can co-locate or you can do this. Somebody's sending us. Let's see if there's anybody else giving me anything. ASICs. I'll have to look at the ASICs. Joe, Joe, it's another one. If you uh, get my email from Patty, I'm looking at it, everybody. And I know the Helium token has the... uh, There's actually a Helium miner in our office. So just so you know, Barbara, one of our guys actually does Helium. And so some of the machines aren't, yeah. So there's a few that are just massive energy sucks and then some that aren't. It depends on how many video cards you have. Most machines, like if you get one video card, you're not going to care. You're not going to notice it. 
you have 10 video cards, it's going to be loud and it's going to be uh, sucking some energy, but you're still going to have a profit margin. It's usually per video card, it's about 10, 20, 20, 30 bucks a day, which again, I'm not telling everybody to go mine, but uh, there has been no guidance on anything other than the hard hard forks and the mining. We still don't know about staking, although we've we've talked about. It. I think I did it on the last show. Yes, staking still being treated as ordinary income. It's still ordinary income, but the uh, your your association of uh, certified public accountants have asked the IRS to give us guidance, and they have yet to do it. But they've said let's treat it as ordinary, and I believe that's the same. They're still behind a million returns to be reviewed. Yep. Somebody hey. says uh, uh, 10 video card money on one PC. No, they're, they're building the machines. The mining machines are quite different. Quite often, it's just, a, uh, it's just a video motherboard, and then they're adding a bunch of video cards. So I don't build them. So neophyte here, dumb lawyer, just uh, uh, trying to learn as much as I can from- Can you go back to that? From my clients. The last question about- Oh, the setting up the LLC. I, I kind of prefer the, the going with an S corporation, even if he is maxing out the FICA. Yeah. Because he's still going to pay Medicare on it. But yeah, so so FICA is two components, old age, death, and survivors, or mm-hmm. disability and survivors insurance, and then hospital insurance. The old age, death, or disability and survivors, I always say death, it, it, old age, disability, and survivors is phasing out. And this year, I believe it's 147,000, but it's 12.4%. And you get a deduction on two point or 6.2%. So it, there's, a, there's an equation. Mm-hmm. 2.9%. You're, or 2.4, you're going to be paying compl- no matter what. And you're going to get a surcharge of 0.9, depending on how much, if, if you make too much money. Yeah. So you're looking at 3.8%. So is it worth it to do the S, uh, in our opinion? Yeah. Plus, if you're an S Corp, you are now an employee, and then you can do all the reimbursements. So you cannot do that if you are just doing a sole proprietorship uh, LLC. You can't yeah. do the administrative office. So there's it, I've yet to run across a situation where it was cheaper to be the sole proprietor plus your audit rates almost 600% higher and they lose those audits. Uh, the last year of data was 94 to 95% of those times. So you lose when you're a sole proprietor because you tend to do bad, like you're not treating it formally. Most people just kind of treat it as a side business and they're just, they're mixing the accounts. The IRS eats you alive. You set up an S Corp, you're setting up a business account. You tend to keep it separate. All right. I love going into the crypto stuff because it's it's an open frontier and because we're printing out so much cash that you see more and more people talking about it, getting it. And if you've been in part of our infinity, you know, we have a crypto room. So um, Grant Luna, great guy there. I think it's every week. And we have a whole bunch of people that are true believers. They're always going out doing the coins. I only know what I know. I'm not an expert. All right. Can we still roll over? a regular IRA to Roth, and what are the tax implications? If we have $250,000 in a regular IRA and doing a cost segregation on a small apartment building, we'll have $225,000 of bonus depreciation. Will that cover the taxes due from the IRA conversion? So the first part of the question is, yes, you can still do a Roth conversion. That's one of the things that uh, Congress has targeted for getting rid of. They don't like the Roths. But for now, you can do the the It was part of the Build Back Better plan. They were trying to undo the super mega backdoor Roth, which is the way to put $58,000 a year into a Roth. Mm -hmm. They've yet to undo it. It's not part of anything that's out there right now. Build Back Better right now has a fork protruding from it, but we'll see. It was one person away from passing. 
So the second part of the question talking about, can I use it to offset or I use my cost segregation to offset the income from the Roth conversion, Mm -hmm. that's going to have a little asterisk by it that yes, if you are a real estate professional. Yeah. So so let's break this down. So the first off, can I roll, can I still do a, a, a conversion from a traditional IRA to a Roth? Yes. So I can do that until when? April 15th? Uh, no, that had to be done by December 31st. So could I reclassify a an account? I think I still have the ability to reclassify a traditional IRA and make it into a Roth. No, that would be a conversion. I think I have a reclassification. Uh, they did away with that in 2018 that you can, there's no longer any. I think you're probably right. I know that you can't roll, that you have to do that before year end. But I believe that there's a that there's a small little window that somebody can do something before the. You can make contributions to an IRA up until April fifteenth. Yeah, but I'm wondering whether you can still convert reclassify mm-hmm. that. So we have to anyway. Uh, let's just assume that, that one we, I actually looked up just this week. Okay, so as long as you did, it's, it's, so everything has to be done by twelve thirty one. But the apartment conversion, what Jeff said there was the real estate professional status is what makes that go from passive to an ordinary loss. And if you have bonus depreciation and you qualify as a real estate professional, then you could use it. You can make that election all the way up until you file your tax return. So if you're, let's say that apartment building is in a partnership, technically you could make that, you can make that election what, all the way up until the partnership taxes due. You could do a 3115 or you can make an initial election. Oh, for the cost segregation? Yeah. Yes. So you could do the cost segregation through next year, all the way up until September, assuming that that is a, the small apartment building is not in an IRA and is your, is probably in an LLC taxes a partnership, or if it's in an LLC that's disregarded for tax purposes and is flowing on page one of your schedule E, then you'd have until October 15th, assuming that you file an extension. So you have some time on the cost segregation. But chances are you would still have to have rolled the IRA to a Roth. Can you do it this in 2022? Yeah, you could do it. In fact, you could just delay this whole transaction. And let's say that this individual said, oh, I don't know, I'm not going to do anything. So they sat on their hands. You could do it in 2022. You could still convert the the traditional IRA into a Roth. You'd want to do that. If you did that now, you're going to get the same economic benefit because the money is in the Roth. Mm-hmm. You would have the taxes due on that conversion next year, and you can make the cost segregation, the change of accounting election on your 2022. You are not stuck having to do it right. this year. So hopefully you realize you have a little wiggle room. You don't have to do things. If you did do the conversion last year and you have the bonus depreciation and you qualify for the real estate professional, then you'd be able to offset almost 100% of the conversion. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think if I'm doing this transaction, I want both things to happen in the same tax year. Yeah. Like you said, we Unless they're the- not a real estate professional, in which case we don't really care. We yeah, just, we, that's true. Pick it. You'd say you're going to make more this year or last year. Uh, if you're not a real estate professional, then you're not going to be able to recognize a $225,000 of ink, a loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, Unless you're selling it. Or you could always say, you know what, I want to do, I want to convert. How about I convert half this year and half next year? Can you do that? True. I I mean, that's a point that I make to people that, oh, you want to do a cost segregation or 
the Roth conversion, you don't have to do it all this year. You can do it in bits and pieces. Yeah. So let's go right up until like, let's say, hey, you're about to go into the 30 something percent tax bracket. Let's keep you out of that. Mm-hmm. We'll keep you in 24. You know. Yeah. What's, what's the pain level you're willing to, to suffer? All right. If I elect to pay the gift tax. So this is a situation where you're going to have to lay out what gift taxes are. Instead of using my lifetime exclusions, which you have $11.8 million lifetime exclusion right now, mm-hmm. that's per spouse. So a married couple is 20, close to what, 23 more. Yeah, 23, six or something like that. It's a huge amount. Uh, is the gift tax a deduction on my personal income tax? So when we're talking about the gift tax, gift tax and the state tax, they're taxes paid on gifts to others, including inheritances, once your state or gift gets above $11.8 million. Uh, now there's the annual exclusion for gifts of $15,000 per person to another but individual. But I could give somebody, let's say I gave you a million dollars mm-hmm. this year, and I say, I'm not going to use my lifetime exclusion. Right. Then what would I pay? You would probably pay a substantial amount of tax on that gift. So if you gave me a million dollars, you mm-hmm. probably you could pay four or five hundred thousand dollars in gift tax. Really? Is that high? Could I might be stretching it there, but it, it's it's, it's not be, low. Is it going to be the estate tax? Level? It's going to be the same as the estate tax, which rate. is going to be a really big amount. Yeah, it's going to be a big amount. I mean, it'll be. It still has graduated rate, but it still gets up to forty percent pretty quick. So my personal opinion on this is. I'm going to use that lifetime exclusion for any gifts I give. But the question is, let's say you did have a $400,000 tax bill. Is that deductible? No, it is not. It is not an income tax. It is not deductible. So you're paying tax on the entire amount. You get no deduction, no benefit for the taxes paid. So now what would you say? What would you tell this person? I would tell them to use the file gift tax return, use the lifetime exclusion and be done with it. Or systematically gift. Let's say that you're giving $15,000. This is more than 15, but let's just say that it's a, again, single person, $15,000 per recipient. So let's say you have five Mm -hmm. kids, 15, 15, 15, 15, right? Just going down the board or 15, 15, you know, five times. A spouse could do the exact same thing. So it's $30,000 a year. Do you have to report that anymore? Nope. So I could be giving $30,000 a year, five kids. I'm giving $150,000 a year. Every year I do that. It's indexed for inflation. It's going to keep going up. Inflation's going crazy. So that will go up. Mm-hmm. But what you said is also just look at doing the lifetime exclusion and using it up. And then you file your t- a tax form that says how much you use. Right? And once I'm dead, it's not my problem. <laughs> that's horrible. But yeah, and that's a good example. My wife and I, can trip can contribute or gift to my son and his wife sixty thousand dollars without doing anything because you can each give fifteen to each of those thirty and thirty right sixty thousand so here. not each it's thirty each right right there we go all right I have an existing single family home which I'm converting to an Airbnb I'll be personally managing this Airbnb starting December so this is last year. My spouse and I both have W-2 income, no other active business. Can I use accelerated or bonus depreciation to offset my W-2 income, Jeff? Yes, you can cost segregate this this, uh, property, your former home. It's not subject to the real estate rental rules. Uh, It's considered ordinary gain or loss. So you could do all these things. Uh, And you mentioned a couple of things that you're managing the property. The one thing you don't want on these short-term rentals is to have somebody else managing your property. 
it's okay that if, if Airbnb is scheduling the appointment stuff like that, as long as you're still doing the work. Right. So this is going to confuse the people that are that are here listening and going, "Hey, is passive income?" So here's the deal: Airbnb, which generally fall underneath the category of seven days or less average occupancy. Mm-hmm. So each individual tenant occupying it for seven days or less is exempted from rental real estate. It is no longer passive income. It is just regular business income. And then the only question is, am I actively or materially participating? Am I a material participant in that? If I hire a property manager, then I'm not more than likely 99% of the time, right? If I'm hiring a property manager, oh crud, that business I am not materially participating in. Now that would be passive act. Like that would still be like the pizza shop. Right. I'm a passive participant in it. You can get a little wonky. So the Airbnb, because of that, potentially I could get the accelerated depreciation and use that against my W-2. Now here's where it gets really weird. If I had an existing single family home and I used it as a passive rental for part of the year and then an active rental for part of the year, does that throw a wrench into the machinery? Yeah, I don't, I don't like those. So that, well, that's what he's doing here. So, or, or she's doing here. So it's oh, a married mean- couple. And they said, I have an existing single family home. So it's either their personal residence. Okay. So yeah, so it would be a personal residence for say the first half. Mm-hmm. And then we would treat it as a short-term rental for the second half. And that little period of time, if I have bonus depreciation, it's not allocated over the entire year. It's just, I immediately get that right. bonus. So that's going to throw some of you accountants off out there, the people that are familiar with modified accelerated cost recovery system, because this is a bonus depreciation. This is a business asset mm-hmm. taking anything that is less than 20 years and writing it off in one year is bonus depreciation. So whether it was in service for one day, you could write off whatever the bonus depreciation, which is in this case, is 100% of the personal assets in that home. So carpeting, appliances, specialized electric, specialized plumbing, your sidewalks, your fences, any shrubs, all of that, 100% of it, boom, get to write it off this year. And if it's Airbnb, seven days or less, average occupancy, and I managed it, I get to take that entire deduction Mm -hmm. against my W-2 income. Now, the reason I pulled this one is because they were talking about December. So here they are in January going, ah, crap, it doesn't matter. Facts are kind of like that in the the tax world. The election for bonus depreciation can be made up until you file the tax return. So you have active business income. I don't know how this Airbnb is held, but let's just assume it's in your personal name right now. You could make that election up until October 15th. And you can make the, you don't have to accelerate If you do accelerate, you don't have to take 100%. You could do a cost segregation and take bonus just the five-year property, bonus just the seven-year property, bonus just the 15. Uh, Somebody says, why do you have to manage it yourself? Because you have to be a material participant for the loss to be non-passive. Material participation, there are seven tests. Mm -hmm. The most obvious one is if I self-manage, I don't have to worry about time. If somebody else is providing services like a manager then I have to do more than 100 hours and I have to do more than them. If somebody's doing more than 100 hours, the other party, property manager, construction, whatever, then my spouse and I would have to do 500 hours 
So when I look at Airbnb, it's specific to that particular properties, unless I'm doing a whole bunch of them, but it's that particular property. If I self-manage, I don't have to worry about how much time I spent on it because it's going to be really tough, especially if we put it into service at the end of the year. So we're in December. The easiest way to qualify, the only way really, is to be the one that's the only one who's managing it. So that's why I did that. Is there guidance or resources uh, for cost seg on STR short-term rental? Yeah, it's the, uh, Richard, realistically, I'd, I'd go into my YouTube channel. I did a pretty extensive deep dive into the, uh, I forget the name of the video, but I dove into the different, because there's seven days or less with material participation. There's seven days or less without material participation. There's seven days, there's going to be eight days to 30 days with substantial services and material participation. There's eight to 30 days with substantial services and material participation, so with or without. And then there's beyond 30 days, uh, 31 days or more with extraordinary services with material participation or without material participation. And then there's anything over seven days if you're not providing any other services, it's just uh, going to be passive. And then the question is whether you meet the real estate professional status. So there's a whole bunch of... It's, it's really straightforward. Yeah. There's doors you can walk through. And I was just rattling that stuff off the top of my head. There's nuances on all of those. It's kind of like the Winchester house. Look it up if you don't know what I'm talking about. There you go. Doors right. going nowhere. Lots of doors that go nowhere. Patty understands this. She's like, lots of doors. All right. Uh, if I'm a real estate pro and self-manage many properties, but have some which are managed at a state by a property manager, can I aggregate all the properties and balance out the gains and depreciate losses across the whole portfolio? That's a good question. Brandon, he, that's a great question. And the he, answer is, he, he's on, on, on fire today. Brendan's done too. Um, you aggregate all your long-term rentals, but you do not aggregate your short-term rentals. Yep. So guess what we do? When we're in that scenario where we need to, we need those short-term rentals and we need their time, then we make them no longer short-term rentals for me. And what we do is we rent them to the corporation long and have a corporation mm-hmm. act as the host so that for your portfolio, everything is long-term. You don't have short-term. And then the corporation would pay you rent and the difference between what it's able to get on the short-term rentals and that rent would be taxable income to the corporation. You, again, usually you're trying to pull the money back out through um, reimbursements or using it up in other ways so that you don't have a big bunch of cash sitting there and you can always pay yourself a salary if you want. My rental is a condo. Can I be considered self-managing even though there is a HOA hired management company? Yeah, of course. If you're managing it and it's a the rental then yes, they, what they do is they look at your time. Mm-hmm. Nobody else is managing your portfolio. So even though they have an HOA, they're not doing anything for, for your guests. They're not doing anything for you other than they're maintaining the property. Like you have the structure, the outside right. and the common areas. They get to mess with that and make sure you guys all paint your doors the right color. <laughs> and you know, We're having fun with our HOA right now. HOAs are a blast. <laughs> we love HOAs. HOAs are good for your property value. And when they do their job, like Surfside was a fault of an HOA not doing its job. You know, Surfside, the building collapsed because they couldn't get their stuff together. They didn't get the, the, what they needed to get done, done in a timely manner. So the HOA sometimes looks like this big ogre that's mean to you in all reality is protecting you and keeping your values up high. 
as a as a group, but boy, they're a pain in the butt to deal with mm-hmm. if you ever get one. Somebody says, "Thank you. I'm already a real estate professional and flipping. Uh, do I have to manage it or do I hire a PM? You could do both, Steve. What I would be doing it again is if you're a real estate professional, then we probably want everything to be just aggregated as long term. So I would do a rental to your corp and let your corp be the manager of those local properties and hire it out and do whatever else. For the short-term properties? For the short-term properties, right. So then all of your properties individually that go onto your Schedule E, page two of your Schedule E if it's a partnership, page one of your Schedule E if you don't have a partnership, all of them are going to be long-term real estate income and losses, and you're going to change it from being passive by electing to be a real estate professional. And that's all you have to do. And it's so much simpler that way. You're going to see people still, hey, I have my Airbnbs over here. And I have these. this time does not get counted over here. Right. And it's going to suck if the reason you don't qualify as a real estate professional is because you were 20 hours shy that you did on an Airbnb because somebody decided to keep you separate as opposed to saying, hey, let's make that Airbnb. We'll rent it long. So now it's part of this whole big group of properties that's renting on an annual lease to a corporation, which then turns around and and divvies it up to just to, to to in, in small bite-sized pieces to your your, your uh, residents, your guests, your guests. All right, guys, we're a little bit over because Jeff talks a lot. Can't shut up, Jeff, 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 Jeff. Blah 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 blah. That's what I do. All right, so we have YouTube. By by all means, go in there and uh, jump in and subscribe, please. Do subscribe so we know. There's uh we, we we like to see how many guys are subscribed and uh, makes us happy. Listen to our podcast if you feel like it. These Tax Tuesdays get broken down into two pieces, and we publish them over the week, so you can go listen to old Tax Tuesdays. You want to see whether we were spot on a year ago? You can do that. You want to see if we're spot on three years ago? You can do that. I would say listen to the most recent ones; they're more fun. And then if you are a platinum client, you can always get your replays of these Tax Tuesdays in your portal. If you have questions, send them into Tax Tuesdays or Tax Tuesday, non-plural, at andersonadvisors.com. And of course, you can always visit our main page. Anything else from you, sir? No, I don't believe so. So happy 2022. Let's make it a great year. Let's have some fun. Uh, Hopefully the Build Back Better doesn't sneak up and bite us and do weird things and give us headaches. Hopefully this year is a happy year for taxes and you guys are all very, very successful. This is cool. All right. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode. 